this week on The Inswinger. I think they really felt the loss of Madison. You could see that from the stats and from what Ange said after the game. They, they lacked that creativity. They didn't buy young. They bought to like try to compete now. We've seen them play well in the big games. I think that's when they've been at their best, actually. So many people will pinpoint Newcastle's success to the money spent, but man, I think it's totally how. Welcome back to the Inswinger Season 3, Episode 11. What a week of footy we had on our hands. It started off with some crazy UCL games, and then this past weekend in the Prem, arguably had the game of the year. A couple of five-goal thrillers for the Inswinger boys and their squads. Uh, Spurs dropped their second in a row. Newcastle fall to a weak Bournemouth team. So we'll get into all of that and then some UCL review. But Harrison, I think I didn't even introduce ourselves. I'm Charlie DiMatteo, joined alongside. Harrison McGlashan. The listeners know us by now. They do. Charlie. They do. Of course they do. <laughs> uh, but Harrison, we got to get into this Chelsea City game on Sunday, 4-4 at the bridge. I mean, take me through what this result means, the way the game played out, because it, uh, it was a barn burner. Another four goal, uh, four goals scored for Chelsea, which I didn't think I'd be saying a couple weeks ago, given <laughs> their lack of clinical finishers, which we've discussed. But yeah, probably the game of the season so far. I mean, I think uh, Chelsea's a nice place to start. Uh, you know, these sorts of games. I think what we've learned about them is these sorts of games, playing against teams that will dominate the ball a bit more. You know, your your cities, your Liverpools, your Arsenals suit Chelsea. We've seen them play well in the big games. I think that's when they've been at their best, actually. You know, um, I think Pochettino knows how to get the as I think we saw against City. Pochettino got the best out of the players. You know, they weren't afraid to attack. They showed confidence, energy, character. Uh, and more quality than I've seen from them all season, really. And and it paid off. Yeah, I thought they deserved a point, maybe even more, you could argue. Sterling was fantastic. Gallagher, I think, continues to shine in his role, sort of ahead of Enzo and, and Caicedo. Just, again, providing that energy, showing leadership. Uh, just does something that the other two don't, really, in that midfield. Cole Palmer, excellent again. And I thought Reese James made a difference coming back into the team, going forward especially. And I like Malagusto, but... He just offers something different, Reese James, on both sides of the ball. So I think you have to give Poch a huge amount of credit for the for the way he set them up. And I thought they played really well. I thought if anyone was lucky to get a point, it was City. I think the question is now, can they build off this? Because I think Chelsea will continue to struggle against teams that sit back. They they can they break down a low block? That continues to be the question. We know they are good in these sorts of games now where there is a bit more space to attack. And I thought, credit to them, they exploited that space really well against City. They made them look average at times. You know, so when they can counterattack, when it's high energy, end-to-end -end stuff, we know they're good. But can they get past teams, you know, that'll sit back for the most of the game? That still remains to be seen. But again, heading in the right direction, and I thought that was probably their performance of the season. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point in that this game suited Chelsea because City allowed space in behind, and Chelsea have quality players going forward, whether it is Sterling or Palmer or Gallagher is really good in that supporting role. But against the lower teams, I just think it's an issue of whether Poch can get these players up for it. Because I think I think these players are up for the big games. Like, they're up for a, the Derby against Spurs. They're up for playing the treble winners. But 
when you host Nottingham Forest and lose 1-0 is that same character and desire there. And I think that comes with the territory of having a younger squad. And that comes with time and experience of getting reps of dominating, you know, a low block. And it takes quality from the dugout, too. I mean, it's tactical. And maybe Potch's sure. style isn't always suited to that. But just from a neutral's perspective, what a game this was, I think, when Chelsea went one nil down early, I think heads could have dropped. They didn't. Thiago Silva, who's you know been under a, a bit of stick recently for his performances, got the equalizer, uh, and then it was Sterling who scored against his former team. Two former City players scoring. Uh, Palmer, Cole Palmer's an interesting one because he's in the England team now. There are a couple of people withdrew, and maybe this is me being salty because James Ward Prowse didn't get in. But Cole Palmer, yes, he scored four goals. Some of them haven't come in big moments. Penalties. But they've all been penalties. <laughs> He's yet to score yeah. a league goal from yeah. out of, uh, out of in, in, in regular play. Out of play, yeah. And I, I'm not... This isn't me, like, hating on Cole Palmer. It's just, like, I think Chelsea fans, and they did this with... They wanted to do this with Havertz and Werner, and they, they didn't get the chance to because they were so bad. But, like, Chelsea wanted to champion a play, an attacking player so badly. Mm. Ever since Eden Hazard left, there really hasn't been that guy. Even when they won the Champions League, it was... Yeah, who was the was talisman? Mount, I guess. Yeah. And that went sour. And so I think they desperately want to buy into whether it's Jackson, who scored again, decent yeah. finish. Yeah. He's got six goals. Uh, whether it's him or Cole Palmer, they desperately want to latch on to that, you know, new Drogba or Hazard or Diego Costa. Yeah. And I'm not fully sold on them yet. That no. being said, I respect Cole Palmer and the move he made. There were lots yeah. of there was lots of talk in, during the week about, you know, what Pep said to him. He said, you know, I'll give you a chance to play. Cole Palmer said, I don't think you will. Which is takes balls for a twenty-year-old kid to do that against Pep, and then to go score against him with his new team—that's that's impressive stuff from him. So, well, I, I'm not necessarily fully on the Cole Palmer hype train, like some Chelsea fans are. I do respect the move he made, and I have to respect—you know—it was a big goal, big moment he scored to make it four-four at the weekend. So, yeah, he settled in quickly. That that's been. Uh, something that I've been really impressed by hit the ground running yeah. you know with with his performances you know you can look past the goals and the you know the penalties he has had an impact on this team at such a young age I think that's impressive yeah really impressive what a game that was all right let's move on to a couple uh, of our own team's games I think we can each just kind of break down what went down we'll start yeah. with your boys Everton I mean what a game that was fantastic 3-2 victory I was watching it with the Syracuse Toffees <laughs> this weekend. Shout out Andy and those boys. Really, very welcoming. We, we had a blast. So another fantastic win in London. I mean, listen, the, it wasn't the prettiest performance in the second half, uh, but we did what we had to do to win the game, and, and that didn't require much possession. So I think that's impressive in its own way, really. You know, we can score three goals with only 30% of the ball. So I'll take that. I'll take that any day of the week. You know, um, you know, I don't really want to watch a team, personally, that just plays it out of the back and has a bunch of passes, doesn't really do anything with it. I don't, I don't mind, and I know Everton fans, the most of them, don't mind seeing a team that wants to play forward, that wants to play with energy, that, that doesn't mind uh, counterattacking, that can show a bit of quality, of course, but doesn't necessarily need 60% of the ball to win a game. I, I think that is, that's absolutely fine for an Everton team right now. So I think last season and the season before, we would have lost that game mm. at 2-2. And, and there's been, there has been a mentality shift that Deitch has implemented. You have to give him credit for that. We look so much more solid this season, and I'm not as afraid that we'll concede you know, a last-minute uh, winner 
as I have been in previous seasons. I mean, that, that, that that's just how I feel. So, you know, in other words, I have more trust in the players. And that's because of Deitch. That's yeah. on him, which is, which is fantastic. You know, we can win ugly. We can see out a game. And we can also score three goals away from home against a Palace team that are, you know, that have been better than us in, in previous seasons, right? You know, we've all said Palace are, yes, they're mid-table, but they're going in the right direction. They got some really good players, as they did cause a few yeah, problems. He was excellent. He's, He's really such good. a such a good player. Um, but, you know, I couldn't say those things about Everton teams of the past, that, that we can we can see out a game and we can go grab a winner away from home in London, a place where we've, we've struggled. And now, you know, Brentford away win, West Ham away win. Now Palace away. I mean, those are three really good wins against teams that, you know, I, I wouldn't have been as confident going into these games in, in previous seasons. So I, I think that's just it's just a huge uh, mentally for us to continue to build on that momentum. You can see it on the pitch. I mean, a guy like Mikalenko, who, who has struggled for us in the past, Great has been goal. brilliant. Another yeah. goal. I mean, goal aside, he's defended really well. Even I was listening to... Um, the, the two Robbies podcast and Stephen Warnock Shout was out. on and he is uh, he's a Liverpool guy he's sort of from the area played for them and he said about the Derby they were talking about Mo Salah and um, how he can sort of create something out of nothing and in the Derby he was marked out of the game by Mikalenko but then mm. you know just popped up with a penalty and, a, and right. another goal in typical Salah fashion so you know players like that you know Branthwaite we've talked about but also James Garner sort of just coming really in and having an Garner. impact really he, he's, he's been excellent and I also think uh, to credit the recruitment team, which I never do with Everton because they have been crap. Shout but, you out know, Thelwell. Thelwell has come in, and, and he's brought in a few guys like Jack Harrison. Uh, and, and there's clearly a vision there. He's like, okay, Sean, how about this guy? Right. And, and Sean clearly is, is, is more than okay with that. You know, we haven't had subs to bring on in attacking in midfield areas who can either affect the game or just keep the level uh, high in, in years. We that haven't had well. that in years. You know, Onana has to go off at the half. Idrissa Gay comes on and, and does his job really well and even got a goal, which, which was surprising. Beto comes on up front, runs his socks off. Sure, his first touch isn't great, but he keeps the level here, right? We, we just we haven't had that in, in years. There's no—the level doesn't drop. We don't need to rely on players like Calvert-Lewin and Onana or Garner or Ashley Young for 90 minutes, which mm. is huge because we just—you know, players get tired, and you need players to come in and affect the game, and we haven't had that. So— that's been great. You have to give uh, Felwell and the recruitment team some credit for that. And But for me, the, the big talking point with Everton is that, that what Deich talks about, changing the narrative, changing yeah. the story. And, and that's a mental thing as much as a tactical thing. And, and I've been really pleased with our performances away from home uh, in the last few games. Yeah, big result for Everton. I think the narrative is starting to change around them, and Deich is slowly but surely implementing his philosophy. And you guys are kind of becoming that... I don't hate to say Burnley 2.0, but when Burnley were going right, they finished in the Europa League places Finish under Dyche, So that's all you Nobody can really wants ask to play for. Right. Yeah. As for West Ham, I think this was a really big result because we had lost three in the league, haven't won since end of September, beat Olympiacos uh, on Thursday in the Europa League, and then came back home to play Nottingham Forest. I think we started really well. Pakata got another goal, kind of a bit fortunate. The ball dropped to him, but it was a great finish. Then they nicked the goal at halftime, kind of deflating. We came out well in the second half, but they went 2-1 up, and then we equalized immediately with Bowen, who I'll get into, and I'll get into our tactical setup. Uh, and then Suchek able to head in from a corner, 3-2 win. James Ward-Prowse, two assists. Kind of how Moyes likes to draw it up. That being said... This result, I think, is the blueprint for this team going forward. Because I've been having this discussion since we signed Mohamed Kudus and all these new players is, you know, what is our best 11 tactically? Who's going to play where? And today, or this past weekend, we saw, 
you know, a back four of Emerson, who's been fantastic this year again, Aguirre, Zuma, Sofal, Ariola at the back, the midfield three of Alvarez and Suchek with Ward-Prowse. He should be ahead of them. He's been playing a bit deeper. I, I really like Ward-Prowse in that role. But a front yeah. three of Kudus on the right, Pakata on the left, and Bowen through, through the, middle. the middle. And we've been wondering who the odd man out is going to be, and it's kind of been picked for himself. It's been Antonio because he has not been no. in good form for a while now. Bowen ran his socks off in and around the 18-yard box. He's dangerous, but it was a number nine's header off of a corner. It was a brilliant glancing header to get a goal. And Moy said it, you know, you know, Bowen's probably not going to be as involved, but his job now is just to score goals. And he is still providing that. He's very good at that. And he's very good at that. <laughs> he's only, very good only, I think, Sun and Holland have more goals than him in the Premier League. He's got eight this year. Is he in the England squad? Yes, he is. Yeah. Unlike Ward Prowse. But I give credit <laughs> to David Moyes because we needed the three points. I give mm. credit to the players because it was a tough game. They went 2-1 down, equalized immediately, didn't let the fans get back on them. Uh, and we're really pushing. We were a much better team in the second half against yeah. a pretty good Forest team. Forest have, yeah, Forest showed glimpses. have surprised some teams uh, away from home. Alanga, I was super impressed. Yeah, I was going to talk about Scored him. Scored a great Brilliant. goal. Looked really good in the left flank. Was eating so far up for breakfast. I mean, it was bad. Kudus had to really help him track back at that point. But now for West Ham, you sit ninth. You're four points off sixth. Despite a shaky you know, month of October into November, there's an international break coming up. You're top of the Europa League group. All of a sudden, it's kind of like order is restored because for a bit there, it was a real rocky period with you know, losses to Everton at home, Brentford away, Villa away, and we didn't look great. Now we've got, I think, the 11 that we can you know, rely on if everyone's fully fit going forward and kind of mix and match with the Europa League. We've got a, a Carabao Cup quarterfinal. We got screwed with that draw away at Anfield, but we're still in that. So Anything you know, can happen. Yeah, anything can happen. And Moyes, you know, Always has his doubters. I think more often than not this year, there actually have been doubters since kind of the end of September because of the results and the way his contract situation set up and that it's expiring this year. And do we really want someone on the last year of his contract? But positive steps were made. I think we looked dangerous. We created chances against Forrest, which is something we couldn't say against Everton and Villa. Um, so that that's you had more possession and you won and you won which doesn't happen a lot with no, West Ham it doesn't and I think Forrest were a bit naive in that and I think after the Everton game a lot of West Ham fans were saying it's okay don't panic because you know a, it's a Sean Dyche Everton team who are really really good behind the ball getting men in front and yeah. I think West Ham are better than most teams going forward um, as opposed to how good Everton are defending so sure. a, a Forrest for example aren't able to cope as well with the set pieces like Everton can against West Ham because that is yeah. our strength. So yeah. you see that in games like this, and if you can beat the teams kind of below you, yes, you're disappointed. You couldn't beat in Everton, but you, you nick a few results against the big boys, and you could be mixing it in seventh and sixth again. So sure. that's that's the blueprint, and that's where we're at um, yeah. with West Ham. But did you want to talk about Alanga? I, a word on Forrest. Yeah, well, yeah, Alanga, you said it. it was brilliant. Uh, but <laughs> I thought you can't be taking your shirt off. No. In the 60th 60, minute? 63rd minute. Asking for it. Yeah, but it was a really uh, a well-worked goal. goal. I thought Aina, the fullback, did really well to pick him out. Nearly had a, a, a horror show there with, yep. uh, when they nearly scored. Also, Vlacadimos having his first name Odysseus on the back of the shirt. I love that. It's badass. I'm, I'm salty that. that he took Matt Turner's spot, but I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, maybe it's, you know, maybe he can get back in there and, you know. I Gotta don't represent know. the Stags. Yeah, but uh, I don't, th you're right. I don't necessarily think they were the better side. 
but I think they would probably argue they deserved a point, maybe. Yeah, and if you're did. if you're Steve Cooper, you know you're you're disappointed with the way your team responded after the Alanga goal. That's when West Ham yeah. really came into it and and had the momentum. It was all West Ham after that, and, and credit to them for responding the way they did. So Forrest didn't do much after their second goal, after a really promising first half performance. I like a lot of what I saw from them, but they didn't do it for 90 minutes. So unfortunately, but yeah, I mean still bullish enough on Steve Cooper and Forrest, I think they'll be comfortable this season. And they're, yeah, they're in a much better spot, even just, you know, from a points perspective uh, than they were last year. So positive signs for them. Positive signs for Wolves, not positive signs for Spurs. Oof. It's been a disaster of a week for Ange Postacoglu and his team when everything was going swimmingly. They were up 1-0 against Chelsea, and then all hell broke loose. They lost that game 4-1. They were up 1-0 in this game, but they were they sat really deep. And uh, two stoppage time goals, a goal from Pablo Sarabia, and then Sarabia assisted the mm. winner. And it's 2-1 Wolves. Great Gary O'Neill, Yeah, masterclass from him. I mean, is now time for real concern for Spurs? Is it very much back to kind of reality? I think so, because we've talked about it a million times. The injuries were always going to be the concern, and, and, they, and suspensions, yeah. you know, in, the, in this case. When you rip out the heart of the team, you it's know, Madison, team. Romero, Van de Ven, Adagi, that's a different team there. You know, and I'm just not sure. Uh, it, well, let me put it this way. It's more risky when you have Eric Dyer, Ben Davis, et cetera, on the pitch versus those guys that are out, who we know have the quality to play Ange wants. Um play the way he wants so listen Spurs first of all scored a great goal initially really well worked typical Brandon of Ange Johnson, Ball yeah. after that they weren't very good they I think they really felt the loss of Madison you could see that from the stats and from what Ange said after the game they they lacked that creativity and what he described as aggression and positivity with the ball mm. you, you could see that and Madison is that in a nutshell so it was never going to be an easy game for them with the injuries and suspensions you know three of the back four obviously out so I don't think it was ever going to be straightforward they certainly could have won the game and, and saw it out I mean they conceded two goals very very late but you know yes it is cause for concern because injuries are inevitable for any team and they've yes they've been unlucky with four key players out but squad depth was just always going to be an issue for them this season. I just, I'm not, I, if I'm a Spurs fan, I'm nowhere near as comfortable with, with the three of the back four um, in there, you know, Davis and Dyer and those guys, because <laughs> I've seen a lot from them in the past yeah, that suggests have. that they're, they don't have that quality. And are they, are they decent squad players for a lot of teams in this league? Sure. But the way Ange plays uh, requires different attributes yeah. that I'm, I'm quite, I'm just not sure they, that they have. So can these players who haven't played all season also they haven't played all season right so that so takes some getting used to to get to thrown into the team but can they adapt to this style of play in the long run i mean that remains to be seen i don't want to totally write them off but i certainly am not confident and and right now no they're not they're not good enough so you know that that's just that's just a fact that's not Ange's fault that he has to work with you know Dyer and Davies and these guys but i mean it frankly it's it's the reality so yeah, I mean, get those boys back as soon as you can. You know, you, some of them are suspensions. I think Adagi will be back. Romero has two more games out. So international break is probably coming at a good time for them yeah. to, to reset and work on the system with, with guys who haven't played all season. So I, I'm not overly concerned because I expected this. I never thought they could really mount a title charge. I think they are very, very capable of finishing fourth. I think they're better than the likes of United. Brighton, even, we've seen a dip with them. So mm. I think them, Villa, maybe challenging, uh, you know, for the fourth spot. So, yes, I mean, they are capable of that, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, it is cause for concern due to the players who, who couldn't play. 
Yeah, I, I, you touched on all the stuff I want to talk about in terms of injuries and that it is unlucky. The one thing I just add is that it does suck for a Spurs fan and neutrals because they were such an exciting team that it happened seemingly so quickly. Like yes. We expected yeah. maybe this would happen in January maybe or December. It, it, and to happen so quickly or in November kind of is unfortunate. But I, one thing I want to touch on is it was really curious the way Ange spoke after the Chelsea game in that, you know, this is the way we're going to play regardless, high line, nine men, doesn't matter. And then you go to Molyneux, you're up 1-0, and seemingly sit back. And whether that's down to the match fitness of the players he had to rotate in, not being able to play a high line, that could be it. Or is it coming from Ange himself? I find it hard to believe that it, was, it, would, be, it would be coming from Ange based on what he said after the Chelsea game. But if I'm, if I'm a Spurs fan, I'm kind of saying, okay, Ange, you said all this, and you played well with these players, but if you're not committed to playing with these players, then, then what, is, what is our expectation here? What is your goal here? And that's, I think, something I'm going to be looking at when they come back from the international yeah. break, because should they revert to the way they played and all-out intensity for 90 minutes with these uh, same players, then it's like, okay, I, we're back on track. But just something went off. It's like, well, are you really that committed if after one game and these injuries, you change the way you play? And that's a bit of pragmatism, which I'm not against, but he didn't show any pragmatism with nine men against Chelsea. So that's where I'm kind of like, well, what's sure. going on here? So I'm interested to see how that kind of rounds out in the, in the coming weeks. Yeah, yeah. And also Wolves, by the way, they've been unlucky this season. They deserved a win there. I mean, the XG had it at two, and they scored two goals. They had 17 shots, four on target, compared to six shots and two on target for Spurs, who only had .83 right. expected goals. So... Wolves, for me, have been one of the surprises of the season. Gary, I mean, Gary O'Neill, man. man. He's done what an excellent job. job. And, and I did not see that coming, so I'll hold my hands up yeah. there. And the narrative around Wolves was so dire. And yeah. I just big respect to Gary O'Neill. Yeah, really. Well uh, speaking of dire narratives, Bournemouth, who have been crap this year, pulled out a 2 0 win against Newcastle right. at the Vitality Stadium. I think it was Solanke who bagged both goals. Um, but I want to talk about. Newcastle here. I mean, there was a mm. video of Trippier arguing with the fans saying, have you seen the amount of injuries we've got? Obviously, Tenali's out. But what are the expectations for Newcastle? Because they've slowly transformed into a Champions League-level team, and yet we wouldn't be surprised if they don't qualify again this year. And we'll get into their performances in the Champions League. Yeah. But what, is, what are the expectations for them? I think, the, uh, let me backtrack they are in that conversation with spurs and villa for fourth i forgot about newcastle mm -hmm. that that's the expectation for me top four top five um yeah i i don't really i don't know what started that i'm, I'm sure it was a fan like in trippier just got pissed what are the fans doing complaining uh, you you have no right i know you lost to bournemouth but if you look at the oh gotta fix my camera here if you look at the starting 11 okay lewis miley's in there gordon has to play up front joe linton's back on the left you know, I mean, it, it, Lewis Hall's come in, who's inexperienced, although I like Lewis Hall. It is nowhere near their first team. Yes, it's Bournemouth, who have been crap, but they played really well, by the way. Newcastle, you've been—you've had an amazing year, two years under Eddie Howe. You dropped some points with the injuries. I don't want to hear it from the fans. Are you kidding? <laughs> but you have no, didn't want to hear it either. Yeah, and I don't blame him. He's like—look, like, I mean— they're going to drop points. Like, eventually, everybody has these kinds of results. City lost to Wolves right. the other week. So I I'm not having it from the Newcastle fans. Not from the majority boys. Come on. You, no, stay in your lane here. You're, they, the thing with Newcastle that maybe uh, ignited the frustration from the fans there, or a fan, whoever it was, they are ahead of schedule. And we've said this yeah. before. 
they, I, I don't, nobody really expected, not even not nobody, but I, I certainly didn't expect them to finish top four last season with the squad that they have. And Eddie Howe's done a brilliant job to get them there. You have to pat him on the back. So, you know, I think not necessarily back down to reality because I still think they're a very good team, but I think maybe the lack of squad depth in certain areas and, and playing some youngsters maybe just showed through a little bit in that Bournemouth fixture where they didn't have their, their talisman and then some of their better players who, who have been excellent for them. So maybe, similar with, similar with Spurs in a way, maybe it'll take some time for, for some of the guys who haven't played, like Lewis Hall and, and, and Miley, I don't know, is it Millie or Miley, whatever, um, to, to adapt to the way Eddie Howe wants to play, to get used to the system. Because right now, Lewis Hall is not a Champions League player. Right. He, I'm, he might get there. Same with Livermento, right? He might get there. Uh, I, I back the investment, but... They're just they're that's not where they're at right now. Right. Newcastle are developing a lot of young players. You know, Anthony Gordon being one who's exceeded expectations this season. But is he a consistent Champions League level performer? No, not not yet. You know, so I think we just pump the brakes a little bit, Newcastle fans. You you're an excellent team. You're a top four, top five team, but you're gonna drop points from time to time. I know it's a really poor result on paper, but Trippier, in a way, is right. Look at the injuries, look at the lineup. Don't panic yet. I know we can get onto their Champions League results. Yeah. That's an that's another thing for me. Um, but you know, I, expectations are still high as they should be. But they're not they're not a top three side yet. They're not Arsenal, Liverpool, and no. City. And if they want to be there, then fair enough. But for me, that's not where the expectations should be yet, and that's not where they are yet. Yeah, I, I do want to get into the Champions League results. They dropped back to back games to Dortmund after getting a point at the San Siro and then beating PSG at home. What I want to talk about with Newcastle is Eddie Howe. Now, Eddie Howe has done a remarkable job in how he has improved the players that were already there. And, and then with the money spent, he's really created a well-oiled machine. But it's curious that how much of a leash will Eddie Howe have, given that he's kind of, since he is ahead of schedule, expectations are higher now. Perhaps higher than he expected they would have been. Now, I rate Eddie Howe highly, and he probably rates himself, so he will have high expectations of himself to get back in the Champions League and compete at a high level. But is there any part of you that thinks if things don't go the way they go and maybe they don't make it out of the groups and don't finish in Europe next year, that they can look elsewhere? Because it's almost like because he did so well so quickly, yeah, it's, he'll be it's given less him. time. Because yeah. had they finished like ninth last year and implemented some new signings, and then this year they got Europa League, and then next year they got Champions League, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But because it went so quickly, so well so quickly, I just think we're in this really uh, interesting spot with Eddie Howe because so many people will pinpoint Newcastle's success to the money spent. But man... I think it's totally how and how Me he too. has transformed the culture around the team in training and the players that were already there. And yes, you supplement it with quality like Botman, like Trippier, like Tenali before he went down, like Isak. Gimaresh. So that's Gimaresh, obviously. Those guys are important. But Eddie Howe has been at the focal point of everything. And is he the manager to go and win them a Champions League one day? Is he the guy to win them a Premier League? Because that's you said it. Well, you you didn't think that they're there yet, but yeah. their owners that that's the goal. They don't. That's the goal. There's no if if ands or buts about it. They want to win the Champions League. They want to win the Premier League. Is Eddie Howe that guy? I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know, but I still think he's the right guy right now. Yeah. I think that can't be questioned. Yeah. It's so... Uh, was last year his first full season, and then he came in... Yeah. Yeah, last year was his first full season. So he's had a season and a half. Now on to his second full season. He deserves He deserves the time. He deserve, I think he deserves a chance to prove that he can do it. Yeah. In, in, in Europe, whether that's Champions League or Europa League, give him a chance to prove that he can do it. Give him a chance to prove that he can finish in those uh, Champions League places, whether it's fourth or fifth. And I'm still, you know, who knows how this coefficient will right. work when it comes to Newcastle. Um, he, he definitely deserves a chance. And they've, they've been brilliant this season. You know, I mean, the Bournemouth result. But you can live off that PSG win for a lifetime. Yeah, what, what a result, exactly. All right, let's move on to United in the Champions League. They're, I think, rock bottom of their group. They lost a crazy game. They were 2-0 up, and then I think what was a crap decision, giving Rashford a red card. Uh, Copenhagen were able to equalize at 2-2. Then United went up 3-2 with a Bruno penalty, but then they lost the game 4-3. I mean, this was kind of United in a nutshell. I want to touch on Hoyland a little bit. He got two more goals in the Champions League. He's Champions League top scorer. I mean, why is he more effective? I might know the answer to this, but like, he yeah. is just so much more effective in the Champions League. Do you think there's more to that than there just happened to be playing weaker opposition, or what, yeah, what, what's going on? I mean, he loves playing against Copenhagen. Maybe yeah. that's because he's from he's, Copenhagen. He knows the defense. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. He knows the stadium. It's a strange one, isn't it? I think maybe, maybe, I think, well, United against Copenhagen, to touch on that game, I know it was a while ago, uh, they started really well. I thought in the first just last until week. the red card, they were excellent. That was some of the best stuff I've seen from United this season. Mm. Of course, they weren't, you know, levels above, uh, you know, you know, City and all these other teams. But you know, they were, they were solid, and they scored a really good goal. So, and this doesn't really make sense, but maybe maybe the team feels, you know, more more confident in in the Champions League. Although I will say this. When the red card happened, they capitulated. Yeah. I mean, they broke that. That that is a sign of a of a weak team, you know. And and, and I think yeah, you're right. Hoyland has been brilliant, um, but uh, their concerns with United are are not him, you know. I mean, yeah, and you're right as well. I thought the Rashford red was was soft. I mean, the fucking VAR dude. It's and the Champions ugh. League have been doing pretty well in terms of VAR. Yeah. Well, they they also have like different rules. Yeah. Which is just doesn't make any sense no. to me. I, it's just, oh, it's so mind blowing. I was so glad that on Sunday there weren't any big VAR calls in the Chelsea City game. I thought everything was spot on with the penalties and whatnot. But yeah, United, man, it's just, uh, it's inconsistency, right? They start the game so well. Even they start they started the second half well down at 10 men, kind of the defending by keeping the ball type thing. You're thinking, okay, I, I can see this working if they just be, uh, you know, if they pass the ball well and, you know, don't have to necessarily hang on for 45 minutes, but they 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 confuse me every week. It's just it's funny because they're still they're it's weird because what we've seen from we've seen Hoyland be score goals in the Champions League, but the team is bottom of the group, and he hasn't done well in the Premier League necessarily, and they're in a sneaky good position. Yeah, they're in it's six. so weird to me. I just I, I can't quite wrap my head around Man United at the moment. I don't think they're good. They <laughs> don't make sense. But they they showed glimpses against Copenhagen, but then they just they capitulated. It's just uh you can point at individuals who have been decent and not so decent. It's just it's it's a mess. I, I really wanna I wanna say, okay, I can see what Ten Hawk's doing. They just need a bit of time. And maybe they do, but I've seen just a lot of different tactics and patterns and, and lack of patterns and personnel from him 
I just, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to United. Would I be surprised if they crashed out of the Champions League losing to Galatasaray? No. Would I be surprised if they nick it in the last minute and, and then, like, draw Bayern? No, I would not be surprised <laughs> because it's just, they're all over the place. Anything could happen with this team. They, they, they somehow seem to get results, which is good, but I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. Um, I think one thing you touched on there I want to touch on is the character and like their yeah. their weak underbelly that seems to be there when the going gets tough they don't you know they seem to just capitulate like you said mm-hmm. and that can't happen and I think that has to be on Ten Hag in particular because you can blame certain players because and maybe the blame should be on them because they've shown that they've you know seemingly capitulated under pressure for for previous managers and it's not just Ten Hag. But as a manager, you have to cultivate that sense of identity, that sense of character. I think going back Cultural, to Newcastle, yeah. yeah, Newcastle, even Everton, those characteristics are built by the manager. And when you look at Ten Hag, he doesn't strike you necessarily with the way he speaks and acts as a guy that instills character and those values into his team. And so when criticism comes on Ten Hag, Yes, it's important to look at the players, but I think more importantly, you have to look at him and what he is preaching. Like you said, yeah. I don't really know. I would know. love to be a fly on the wall in the locker I don't, room. Because right. I, I have no idea what he's saying. No. Yeah. I mean, clearly the players don't either because they can't stick to a <laughs> Well, that's what I mean. Like, you see so many different things. It's just, you, and you hear him say different things, you know, like, we want to play in transition. We yeah, want to do this. We want to do it's that. It's just like. I don't know what they want to do. I'm I'm desperate to just like one thing feel his ideas. Yeah, it's one, just it's all I, over I, the place. I forget who said it. I think it was uh, a YouTube uh, old YouTuber named uh, AA Nine Skills, old FIFA player, very critical of Ten Hag because he's a big Ronaldo fan. He said um, United didn't do a rebuild correctly. You want to look at a Correct. rebuild? Yeah. Look I at agree. Arsenal. Arsenal tore it all down. They didn't sign a single player seemingly over the age of 25 for like four transfer windows. They had a couple of rough seasons. They trusted Arteta. And then they went out and like got the nine in Jesus and the big defensive yeah, yeah. midfielder and Rice. What Man United did was they like kind of let some players go on free deals they signed so poorly. Si- yeah, they signed so poorly. They signed a 30-year-old Casemiro, 30-year-old Varane, and uh, like guys like Savitzer on loan, bad example, but like they didn't buy young. They bought no. to like try to compete now. And that's why we're getting a mishmash of philosophy and performance and tactics. It's because the recruitment was a mishmash. There wasn't a clear plan in terms of going for a young team, a team that wants to press and maintain the ball. It's like it was scattergun. It was, you know, just go for players. Ten Hag is coached. Oh, no, but we want Mount yeah. now. We, all summer with Frankie De Jong. Frankie you go De Jong, to Casemiro. Ca- yeah, it's two totally different players. Totally. And it's not even they, they both play defensive midfield, but that's not it. It's, it's what are you trying to build long term? Yeah. And there's no long term vision. And to do a rebuild correctly, it's clear what they need. We talked about this last week with what I talked about with Ralph Ragnick and what he said. They said, you know, he needed, uh, he said they needed open heart surgery, and you got to rip it out. It's not just bits and bobs you can fill in with Casemiro yeah. and Varane. To be you fair, have to tear down. Chelsea have done that. Chelsea have done that, and yeah. we've critiqued them, but time will tell. And time I, will tell, and and we've critiqued them more about the fees that they've paid yeah. and things like that. And you don't necessarily have to pay. Hundreds of millions per player no. to to rebuild the team. You 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 have to you have to have a decent recruitment team who can identify individuals that will be good for you in the long run. Yeah. And I can't think of many examples at United where that's been the case. You know, I mean, you look at the young guys they have. 
you know, Garnacho, um, Poliskri, uh, you know, even Ahmad Diallo. Like, he hasn't really gotten a go. Like, they, spent, we... they spent like $30 million on Ahmad Diallo yeah. from Atlanta. What's the plan there? I don't know. Is he going to play? Because they've had so many injuries and issues in the front three, um, Sancho especially. You'd think he'd get a go. I think Garnacho is the bright spot. Yeah, um, he's the one guy. I think he's a, he he came through the academy. He's shown he can do it. He's I feel like he's just a United player in yeah. terms of in, intensity and character, as opposed to, I, I mean, I hate but to he say needs it, guidance and coaching. He does, and I don't think he's getting guidance from like guys. Like, I hate to harp on Rashford, but he's been poor this year, and yeah. and he's not really a leader, is he? No, I like Marcus Rashford yeah. a lot, but he's not that guy. No, he's not that guy. They need a Roy Keane. To yeah. sh- put their arm around guys and yeah. and, and and lead them and yeah. and Bruno Who's is their captain, the but Bruno doesn't. He's not that guy. He's not that guy. No, he's so not. He's some, a great player, yeah, but he's not. I mean, people have criticized him for his captain quality. I think Bruno is. I think he's a fine captain. Yeah, he's fine. I mean, it's just he's better are, than McGuire. Yeah, and, and he and he does. He, to be fair to him, he tries to lead by example, but I, I think signs of naivety and immaturity show when he's just like flying all over the pitch. Yeah. It's like, that's not what you need. You no, need you maturity. Need cool heads will yes, prevail. Exactly. And, it doesn't seem like and even cool Casemiro, who, who's fantastic, you know, he gets sent off all the time <laughs> and, and is injured because he's like, what is he, 33, 35? What is he? I, I don't he's even 30, know. One or two. 31. Uh, oh, yeah. I think it was the contract was going to take him until he's 35. It's like, yeah, his legs are going to fall off soon. Yeah. And you put him on a huge deal. Yeah. It's, it's like... I could have told you that, man. <laughs> Get us in charge. Come on. So, um, Jim Ratcliffe, mess. hopefully he's the savior. I don't yeah, know. They, they're, we'll, we'll see. There have been some big it's figures. It's going to be really interesting. Big figures being spouted out at the money he's going to invest. I mean, what yeah. that will look like, where that's going to. They whole need, different question. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just they are an enigma and not the good kind. All right. <laughs> Uh, we're going to move on to our final talking point. I want to talk about PSG. Now, PSG have been riddled with controversy, with big signings over for the last you know half decade since Neymar signed, and they've gotten close to winning the Champions League. Uh, Tuchel and Neymar. And yes, Mbappe. but that didn't yeah. happen, and they've tried to rebuild the Galacticos, but now they're taking this French angle with the likes of Kolomowani and Dembele and letting Mbappe be GM and all this shit. But they lost again in the Champions League, and then Mbappe scored a hat-trick in Ligue 1, and Luis Enrique was out critiquing Mbappe after he scored a hat-trick, and it just seems a bit like Man United PSG are a bit of a soap opera, and I'm just curious on your take of the overall state of them. I am a bit more bullish on them than I am with United, uh, because... I think the owners want to win. Yeah. And I don't think the Glazers care. <laughs> I think they want to make money, and that's, you know, everybody wants to make money, but I, they they just, they want to make money. They, I don't think they care about winning the Champions League or the Premier League necessarily. Um, I'm sure Ten Hag does, of course, but the, it starts at the top. Yeah. So PSG, here's the thing. A, do they have the patience? Because I think Enrique is a really good coach, but I think he is stubborn, and I think he will want to implement his ideas, and I think that will take time, and I think some will adapt to it better than others. I think will Mbappe get a bit antsy and frustrated? Maybe. Would I be surprised at that? No, because I'm not the biggest... I I think he's a great player. I'm not the biggest fan of Mbappe, the character, and what I've seen coming out in the press about him, which, you know, may or may not be true. Um, So... I honestly think they might be better off in the long run without him because he has so much power, and I think that just could get ugly. I, you don't, 
I don't, I don't think you ever want a player making big decisions like that at, at sort of a, a boardroom level. I don't know. If he, I don't think he's in the boardroom. But Might the, fact, well the fact that he has the fact that we've heard that he has so much of a say is concerning because, you know, it, it, well, is Enrique going to like that? You know, like Mbappe saying, oh, like, I, I really like this player, you know. He's, he's a buddy of mine. Like, I, I just don't know if, if Enrique is going to tolerate that. So I could sense... Um, a bit of a boil over, and are they going to back their their franchise player, if you will, <laughs> or are they going to back their manager? I think it's going to be really interesting. Listen, it, it, they could get along great, and I'll be, you know, I'll look like an. Idiot, it doesn't guess, seem like but, they are though. But it really doesn't seem that way, and I think Mbappe. Listen, I know nothing about Mbappe, the personality, but I've just seen so much stuff about him that I don't necessarily like. Yeah, you know, and and, and I I think PSG. I think the idea isn't is a good one. Like. Yeah, build that connection with the fan base. Get French players in. You know, become a, a Parisian. Have a Parisian identity yeah. on the pitch. And and Enrique will will play good football if he can get guys in who can who can do jobs for him. I, I have no doubt about that. Are they there yet? No, absolutely not. But you can see where they're going. You can see what he wants to do. Um, will PSG back him and and bring in players who uh, who he needs? Not necessarily like have him just pick out who he wants. I don't think that's the right way to go about it in the modern game. But it, will they stick to the strategy? I, I hope so, because I think it could work. But I also fear that the Qataris might get a bit restless, might not like what they're seeing every week, and and pull the trigger and, and, and you know go back to things that they've done in the past and, and throw out stupid contracts and maybe just, just get a French player like Lucas Hernandez for the sake of it, even though the fans don't really like him because he's a Marseille guy. Right. I mean, it's like... Like you gotta, you gotta read into that, man. Yeah. Like it, you want to build a connection with the fan base. I'm not sure bringing in a Marseille fan is the right idea, even though he's a good player. You know, it's just things like that. I'm not totally convinced, mm. but I think the idea is a good one to to become a French team. You know, because they are uh, they are the biggest team in France. You want to see that French representation on a stage like the Champions League. So if they can get there, and if they, if they can get Enrique the tools he needs, I think they definitely could succeed. But Again, Mbappe, I mean, oof, he, he worries me a bit. Yeah, thank character. you. That's a good segue because I do want to focus on Mbappe because I was, I was in Paris the day Mbappe scored in the World Cup final as a teenager and France won the World Cup. And I was captivated. I was like, this kid is amazing. You know, the Peter Drury call, like the ultimate teenage kick, all of that. I loved it. And then, slowly but surely, I think Mbappe has become this modern superstar, and he's a symptom of, I hate to say society, but he is. Because <laughs> if you look at Messi and Ronaldo when they were coming up, there was not this off-the-field antics. Part of that is social media. Part of that is just the constant transfer news coming in and out and the rumors. But all of that combined has shifted what the focus should be of Kylian Mbappe, which is what an amazing talent he is. He's this mercurial player who scored a hat-trick in the World Cup final to win back-to-back -back World Cups. Couldn't do it. Lost to the greatest of all time. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this constant saga with him flirting with Real Madrid, not signing the contract with yeah. PSG, holding them to ransom, yeah. being there like de facto GM and making decisions. That's not what we should be talking about. And going back to Enrique, when you have a player like that, and you're trying to play tiki-taka, tiki, the foundation of tiki-taka is everyone is kind of on the same uh, level, and you interchange, and it's fluid, and it looks great, yeah. and you get goals from Total everywhere. Total football. Total football. That's what it, it is. Yeah. But you can't be Jamie Tart 
and you have to you can't season be one. season one season Jamie one. Tart. That's what Mbappe is right now. He has to he has to believe to buy and, in. and buy in. What do his teammates thinking? I know. What do his teammates think when he constantly sees him this stuff in the news about how he wants to go to Madrid and that one week he doesn't and he does and I just think I like you said I think in the long run. PSG will be better off without Mbappe if they go down this strong French route. Now, is a part of me thinking, well, if you want to go down the strong French route and you have a Parisian player who's arguably the best player in the world, isn't it foolish to sell him? And yes, it is. But what we're seeing right now with PSG, and maybe it's going to take some more time, is that if Enrique is your guy and you are choosing Enrique, you have to sacrifice Mbappe. And the next question becomes on Mbappe is, where does he go? I mean, mm, it's well. it was Madrid, but is is he going to be Madrid's number nine? I feel like he keeps moaning about how he doesn't want to play. Exactly, as a nine. and then well, you just gave lifetime contracts to Vinicius, who is world class and plays, plays on up the left. left. Seems like he's a Madridista. He's that guy. Yeah. Rodrigo plays on the right. They just gave Valverde that, and slowly but surely, Jude Bellingham is becoming that guy that Mbappe probably wanted to be. I mean, it, it, Bellingham is just yeah. immediately with this rise. So is Real Madrid yeah. the destination? And if it's not, then where it is? I I don't know. I don't know. I think. They they can't resist. I think they won't be able to resist yeah. him. They'll get him if 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 he's available. I think I think he goes, and I think they say someone's unhappy. Figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> get him in there and figure it out. I think they did. You watched the Beckham documentary. They did it with yeah. Beckham. They're just like he's a Galactico. He's English. This is great. We're gonna set. We're gonna. You know, uh, there's a great bit in that documentary where um, Carlos Kirosh, who was who was the coach, yeah. was like. Um, you know, speaking about how the team, it wasn't really balanced, didn't really work at the start. And it cuts to Florentino Perez, who's like, we tripled our revenue. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> that, I mean, like, listen, that's it's kind of a grid for you, yeah. right? I mean, they, they, they have won, and it has worked, but I think that Galactico, well, you look at the Galactico team, didn't actually achieve that much when Beckham came in. I think they won the league his last season, but everybody was gone by then. Yeah. You know, so you need, you need guys who are going to play for the team and, and not you know, necessarily just themselves and, and do that work off the ball and so many other tactical things that that are required to, to have a successful team. I mean, look at look at Man City, right? They don't have any big egos in the team that can just be passengers. Everybody has a role, mm. you know, and, and that requires more than just, you know, uh, prima donna antics, you know? Right. Like, I mean, like, everybody has a role in that team, and there, there, are, no, there are no passengers, you know? that's why, For me, that's why the Messi, Neymar... Mbappe front three didn't work because I mean you have to have a you have to have our hard man eleven behind them yeah if you want right. if you want to be good enough defensively and and functionally um, so yeah I, I'm not I'm not quite sure I don't know where he goes that's a really interesting question if not Madrid where because I don't think Pep takes that on no, maybe yeah Liverpool? I think they're smarter than that oof yeah that well that'd be brilliant as a solid replacement <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I don't know. It's That's a debate for another day. Yeah. Exciting one. We'll get to that maybe another time. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening, uh, and we'll see you next week.